What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision Podcast, the ultimate sports history pod where hindsight is 4040. I'm your host, Colette Abdallah, and I'm joined by my co host today, Sama Dahoud. What's up, man? How are you? Good. How's it going? It's going well. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the KD, Kyrie, Harden era of the Brooklyn Nets. We'll give you guys a little bit of an intro, talk about how we got here in the first place, talk about some of the biggest what ifs from this era. We'll talk about if the Brooklyn Nets would do this all over again if they had the choice. And we'll talk about what comes next for all of the main players in this uh, really crazy but brief era of NBA basketball. So, Osama, let's talk a little bit about before this KD Kyrie era of the Nets. What did the Nets look like in the you know 2018-2019 season? They were a really exciting team. They were really fun on League Pass. They were in so many close games. They were one of the most fun clutch time games in the league. You had D'Angelo Russell running points, Spencer Dimwitty uh, at, at shooting guard. Joe Harris was on that team. I think he's still on that team. Damari Carroll. On paper, it doesn't look like much, but they were feisty. They had a little bit of FU to them, as Bill Simmons likes to say. Um, they, I think they were the eighth seed that year, uh, and they were just really exciting. It, it was a lot of shooting, dimwitty, quick first step. He was able to get to the line, and uh, it, it was at least a fun team. It was one of those fun teams, you know. Exactly, yeah. It was a really fun team that we didn't have any real expectations for, but they had a, a lot of on and off the court chemistry. They they were known, I remember that year, for their uh, bench celebrations. Their bench mob was crazy. And there was a great culture being built in Brooklyn. And supposedly, that culture is one of the reasons that KD and Kyrie wanted to go there in the first place. I don't know how much you believe that because I, I don't buy it. But anyway, so after okay. that, that season ends with, you know, a respectable, I believe it was 4-1. Maybe they got swept by Philly, but it was expected. And they did their thing. And the next year, or sorry, that offseason, they signed Kyrie as a free agent. Do you remember anything about that kind of courting process and and the um, chase of Kyrie to become a Brooklyn Net? I don't remember the details on how he got there. What I remember, it was probably, you know, the whole communicating with Kevin Durant about some sort of, of team up of some kind. I remember him playing for the Celtics and then shooting themselves out of that series against the Bucks. Uh, and I believe he had said he was coming back, but then he left on a really sour note by going uh, three for 400 in that series. And next thing you know, in the offseason, he signs as a free agent. Exactly. That that was the the season where uh, KD and Kyrie were spotted, uh, I think, like in the tunnel at the All-Star game, yeah. chatting it up. It looked like they were whispering something, which is a really funny thing to look back on in hindsight. It's like, if you guys were planning this move to Brooklyn, why would you do it in full view of the cameras at all-star weekend but anyway so yeah you're you're right Kate, uh, Kyrie shoots his way out of Brooklyn out of Boston uh does a lot of weird things that series against Milwaukee where he's like you know waving off the switch trying to guard Giannis one-on-one very strange uh, and then of course that was the season that uh Kevin Durant blew out blows out his Achilles in the finals and it's pretty clear from the jump that season that his time in Golden State was over so he requests a trade or decides to move on. He was a free agent, so he could have left on his own, but he did the uh, the right thing, or he did right by the Warriors, I should say, by allowing a sign and trade in exchange for D'Angelo Russell, and I believe it was another pick, maybe just a, a second round pick, and 
the KD Kyrie era begins kind of in Brooklyn because of course KD has to sit out that whole season. So what was that first year uh, with just Kyrie? Like, I believe that was the bubble season, but do you remember anything about that season and how that, how that was going? Well, let's not ever forget in history that before KD was traded to Brooklyn, that he said, guys, you're not trading me straight up for just D'Lo. You got to throw in a pick. I thought that that was uh, amazing that he, that he added, asked for that. It's like, this is not an equal trade. You got to at least throw a pick. This is just he's got a, a lot of pride. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you're not trading me straight up for D'Lo. Uh, but that season, I mean, obviously he was out the whole year. And it was it was fun. I mean, Kyrie Irving is always going to put on a show. There wasn't really a whole much uh, uh, hoopla, as uh, as some would say, uh, compared to what we've seen the last couple of years. And he just played. He was balling. Um, I, it was it was fun. But I think he was injured for a lot of it. By the time the season shut down, we didn't see him in the bubble, um, and they 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 flamed out. I don't think they made it through the they didn't they didn't make it through the plane, did they? They they lost in the first round, I believe, okay. to uh, maybe it was Toronto. Okay. But I do remember there was some kind of breadcrumbs of trouble that Kyrie was starting to lay. If you remember during the bubble, he was one of the folks that was asking a lot of the questions, which I think a lot of people were outside the NBA as well, maybe inside the NBA too, of what are we doing here? You know, the world is on fire. There's a, a pandemic. This was... Uh, shortly after the the George Floyd murder and, and all of the protests and all that that took place that uh, late spring and summer. And Kyrie was one of the few guys that asked, you know, what the hell are we doing here in this bubble? Why are we doing this? Why aren't we, you know, at home with our families? So we saw the, the like I said, the, the breadcrumbs or the inkling that there was going to be some, possibly some trouble with at, Kyrie there. So at the yeah. time you could say that's, there's a little bit of a, uh, um, I don't know, lo- logical um, insanity or just kind of, it made sense at the time, that logic, just given that entire summer and the, the political landscape in the country that it, looking back at it, if you isolated that, it, it made sense and it was a fair question to ask. But like you said, breadcrumbs to something bigger, but I actually don't fault him and I don't think anyone does for thinking that the all. bubble was a crazy thing. It was crazy. It was it was an insane idea. Um, I, I bl- I've always been firm on this that it was a farce. It was not real NBA basketball. Um, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. I watched every game because we were. I mean, we we were deprived of sports at that point. I mean, we had soccer throughout the summer, but it was all, uh, you know, empty stadiums and all that. The, the bubble was em- pretty much empty except for some friends and family here and there, but. It was it was kind of ridiculous. If you look back on it, I think in a few years, once we're fully removed from the pandemic, hopefully, we'll look back at at how ridiculous it was. You know what? Maybe Kyrie was right in, in that, that regard, especially. Um, so the bubble ends. Nothing really uh, notable happens. And then the next year, that is when we start to get the full KD Kyrie experience on the positive side, uh, where they're playing lights out. They're doing really well. And then they convince, I, I guess they convinced James Harden to force his way out of Houston and, and come to that. Do you remember anything particularly memorable? Cause this was a very memorable uh, situation <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Uh, but what do you remember about the, about Harden forcing his way to Brooklyn? A baby blue fat suit. That's what I remember. <laughs> You're sick and you're coughing in an unhealthy way I could see, but, um, 
I just remember that. I mean, there were just kind of those rumblings that come up that Harden wants out. It was him. There wasn't really much of a roster at that point. They were falling out of favor with Russell Westbrook. It's kind of, he kind of just in sequence was like, I don't want to play with Chris Paul anymore. Trade him. I don't want to play with Russ anymore. Trade him. And there was a bunch of kids there at this point. And I don't think he wanted any part of that. Uh, and then all of a sudden we see him on TV warming up and he looks like uh, Vince Chase dressed as Pablo Escobar uh, in like season four of Entourage in a really bad fat suit. It was hilarious, man. Because the, the funniest thing about that is obviously you're like, okay, this guy's trying to like eat his way out of Brooklyn. He's It looks like he's a boxer that's trying to add weight or something. And the next day, was it like a day or two after he gets traded to Brooklyn, he shows up. I know he's wearing a black jersey, so maybe the black is a little bit slimming, but it legitimately looked like he dropped, I don't know, 20, 25 pounds in a day or two. Do you remember that that first uh, him you know, walking out in the Brooklyn uniform and everybody being like, what? That's the same dude? Yeah, it looked like a calculated thing now because he showed up and maybe it's the 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 black t-shirt diet you just eat a few black t-shirts and you look and you are what you eat you're a little bit slimmer all of a sudden um yeah i mean it's definitely a more forgiving color than the the baby blue that he was wearing (laughs) yeah that was shocking it's like wait a minute was that a was that a switcheroo was did he was he being cunning and i think he was i'm on that i'm on that plane yeah, I mean these elite athletes, you know, he probably just uh went to did a little carb loading or a lot of carb loading for that game uh where he was wearing the baby blue or maybe he was wearing a couple shirts cuz I think he was wearing a long sleeve shirt and he just looked massive and then of course a couple of days later he's uh slimmed down. And so that season, they finish second in the Eastern Conference. They play really well. They win uh, a first round series, I forget against who. It's not really relevant. And then they play the eventual NBA champions in one of the more memorable seven game series that we had uh, in this, uh, this, you know, millennia. So what was most memorable? We'll get to the toe and all that, but leading up to the toe, which I guess that that game, you could just call it the toe. uh, What was most memorable about that, about that series? This is a level of competition. uh, I think was you, you have to give credit to that first. Um, just both teams going back and forth. I think one of the games was a blowout. I think Brooklyn won the first, maybe it was Brooklyn that won the first game by a ton. And you're like, oh, this is over. These guys are on their way to a title. Could be the other way around. But someone was on their way to a title in at least one of those games. And the other part I remember was uh, the injury struggles with uh, Harden and Kyrie. They both got hobbled in, in one of the games, in, in the same game. Um, and it was Harden that was able to power through a bit more, and Kyrie had trouble uh, staying in the series. So I do remember that. And that was the question about that Brooklyn team, right? If you asked before the season, who's stopping this team? And it was like IR or the injuries. That's what the only thing that's stopping them. That's what I remember. Yeah, by the end of it, Kyrie was out, um, which is not atypical for him. And then Harden was, you know, for all the... The, the crap that he gets for his playoff chokes over the years, that was a really heroic performance uh, because he was basically on one leg and he was out there game six and game seven, I want to say, basically on one leg with that uh, uh, hamstring injury that he had. So it, it was an incredible series, but let's talk about the toe. So the the reason that this is the probably the biggest what if, not probably, I'll say definitely the biggest what if of this era is it's game seven. 
KD has a chance to take the lead at the end of the game, and he hits an incredible turnaround jumper, which we thought was a three initially, and it was quite literally his toe, his big toe on maybe his right foot was on the line. And, you know, that sends the game into overtime, and then, you know, uh, Milwaukee ends up winning that game in that series, and they go on to win the title. But had Brooklyn hit that shot, or had KD hit that three and won that series, what happens next? What what if KD hit a three instead of a two in that situation? Yeah, it's all his fault, really. It's him having clown shoes on is the problem. He's a size 18. If he's a size 16, different story, right? They play Atlanta in the next round, uh, and Atlanta had, you know, shocked Philly. And, and no one believed in Atlanta. It was a cute run, but they weren't going to get past Milwaukee, and they definitely weren't going to get past Brooklyn. Maybe Harden gets a little time to recoup his hamstring. Maybe Kyrie uh, powers through. We've seen guys in the past. Kyrie himself come back from injury in the postseason uh, and, and play. And then I don't think, you know, as fans of the Western Conference, I don't think that we favor Phoenix anyway. We like the idea of pointing and laughing at them. Uh, short-circuiting, and Brooklyn winning its first title. I, th- I think that's fair. I mean, the Atlanta thing, they were completely outmatched by by Milwaukee, as you said, and even I think KD and Harden on one leg is probably good enough to beat that uh, extremely overrated Atlanta Hawks team that got super lucky that Ben Simmons <laughs> decided to stop playing basketball, essentially. Um, but I think it is fair. It, it at least it would have been a great series, but I do think, you know, we'll give them the edge because they have the more, more talent. So I think they do win that, that series, that, that the, the finals against the Phoenix. And then what happens? Does, does this team stay together for the next, you know, three, four years and win another couple titles? What do you think? I'm of the belief that winning can cure everything. I think a lot of people believe that and whatever shortcomings there are, James Harden has been in the pursuit of a championship for a while. He's, he left OKC. He left a great situation um, to, to to be the guy in Houston, and he worked very. He had a great relationship, and still has a great relationship now with Gerald Morey. And when you see that kind of superstar GM partnership, yeah, you can tell they're working hard for each other. Um, they he trades for for Harden whatever he needs, and tries to put together the best roster. And they got close. And this would have been. I think this would have led to him staying. Uh, and it, whatever shenanigans happen later, I think you're willing to put up with when you've established some sort of history there. And we can get to why it was a little bit easier to let go of that. Uh, but you're definitely like, hey, this is my, I love this place. This is my my home. This is my family mm-hmm. now. I won a championship here. Building that kind of rapport, uh, and uh, I think in the long run, is is what keeps the team together. That that's It's higher. 100%. It's much more likely they stay together than not. A hundred thousand percent. <laughs> because so the next year, obviously KD and the falls short because of his toe and all that. Milwaukee goes on to win the series. The next season is where things start to unravel. And it was primarily because of the COVID vaccine and Kyrie's reluctance to va- get vaccinated. And I think the the funny thing, I guess the irony is that, you know, these days, I don't think the vaccine is as big of a deal in New York. They're not enforcing it in it for any reason. But I think the, the the irony of all this is that this wasn't an NBA restriction that you know Kyrie couldn't play in New York. 
it was a New York restriction, and he could have very easily played all of the road games, but the Nets, for whatever reason, decided that, you know, if you're not going to play in Brooklyn, if you're not going to get vaccinated, you're just not going to play, period. And I think that was a really big misstep on their part because especially in this era, you know, you can talk about, oh, team chemistry wouldn't have been for good for team chemistry if Kyrie was playing. I think it would have been the complete opposite. I think the guys would have rallied around him. It would have become kind of a, uh, a them against us against the world where it's like, hey, look, New York doesn't want you to play. The NBA doesn't want you to play, but you're going to play all your road games and you're going to kill it for us. And I think that was the big the big misstep in that case. And it, it basically, it drove Harden out of town because he saw Kyrie doing this. He saw Kyrie trying to position himself as some kind of martyr against uh, the COVID vaccines. And he didn't agree with how the Nets were handling it. So he said, get me the hell out of here. So in hindsight, do you think that James Harden possibly should have overlooked this? Or do you think he made the right decision in leaving? I think he should have overlooked it uh, because at, at the end of the day, it's about the basketball. I understand that there was some funny business going on, but you're trying to get ready for the postseason, and those restrictions ended up getting lifted anyway at some point during that season, and he was able to play home games in New York. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't want this to get lost in 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 history. Looking back at it, it was a silly rule only because it was for players that played in New York. But if someone from out of town came that wasn't vaccinated, then it didn't matter because he was considered an employee of New York. So he had to follow Mm -hmm. that. So if someone came into town from Orlando or whatever, um, not vaccinated, they could play. So to be fair to Kyrie, he had his his own moral uh, sensibility that, yeah, it was a detriment to the team that regulation was also stupid. Yeah, and I think if they had won the championship the previous year, like you said, Harden would have overlooked the shenanigans. He would have been like, okay, you know, Kyrie has some credibility here. We can roll with this. We can keep things going. And, you know, instead of trying to blow it up, we said, okay, let's weather this storm and let's try to defend our title because that's a much bigger motivation of, you know, defending the title and proving the legitimacy versus you know all the uncertainty of is Kyrie, is Kyrie going to be able to play is he not and then there's no guarantee of course that we're going to win a championship so I, I think had they won the year before then I think of course Harden is able to overlook this and we would have been able to just keep going as is what do you think 100 percent. yeah I, I think that the only thing that you can throw a wrinkle in is some with these superstars sometimes you just don't know and we don't know James Harden. You would assume the just process of elimination. Let's be logical about this, that winning cures all. But let's just say this is a what-if podcast that he doesn't give a shit about any of that. He's like, I still want out of here. This is weird. Oh, I, w- I want my own team. You know, NBA stars will find, will manufacture ways to be motivated to pursue other opportunities. He's like, get me out of here anyway. I want to be with Gerald Morey. I want to play a different style. I don't like this system of, of sharing and caring with two other superstars. I just want a partnership somewhere else. That's that's very possible. And that ended up happening. And there's a little bit of what if Ben Simmons dunks a basketball, uh, a prophecy to be fulfilled there. Uh, but I think that that's, that's a, some, an angle to consider. Yeah, I think the 
the overarching takeaway is that Ben Simmons uh, ruined the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers. That, that's the butterfly effect. Uh, so anyway, that season, you know, Harden gets traded uh, in exchange for Ben Simmons. There's a lot of uncertainty about Ben Simmons playing. Will he, won't he? Um, that lasts through, you know, the entire, the rest of the second half of the season after the All-Star break because Harden was traded shortly before. And then when we get to the playoffs, the uh, Nets are playing the eventual Eastern Conference champion uh, Boston Celtics. And after the first game, which was incredibly close, basically the rest of, if I remember, the next three games were still pretty close with the exception of game four. That was a blowout. But, you know, all that matters essentially is that, you know, Brooklyn gets swept by the Celtics. Ben Simmons is teasing us the entire time of, you know, I think he's going to play. There's reports. Oh, he was dunking in practice. He's going to play. He's doing weird shit. He was like rebounding during shoot around. And even though he was in street clothes, this is all very bizarre. So the <laughs> the Nets drama parade continues. But I think the the big what if from that scenario is if Ben Simmons plays and he is not current Ben Simmons, but maybe, you know, the, the Philly pre-Atlanta series Ben Simmons do you think that they're able to beat the Boston Celtics in that series? Yeah, so I I think uh, Ben Simmons it, it would have been quite the difference maker defensively. They just didn't have anybody to stop the guys on Boston. You saw in the finals that Golden State had a, couple, a little bit of switchability. And you just had KD, and when he locks in, sure, he's a menace uh, when he's really locked in. Uh, but you look at how close that series was. It was like if Nick Claxton made like more of his free throws, it would have been a different story. But I, th- I think the difference in the entire series was the number of free throws Nick Claxton missed. So you have Ben Simmons in there instead. You have a playmaker. You have an elite defender. And I think, I don't know if, if they get past them. The Boston was just a team of destiny, it, but it's significantly closer. Like they don't get swept. That was them getting swept is more so the indictment of the construction of that roster and their chemistry more than anything else because it was like i'll cook no you'll cook my turn your turn Mm -hmm. and it just didn't work it wasn't enough and there was there were so many things that were going against them in in that uh, series i think one one thing i forgot to mention which was i think was huge was getting rid of jared allen in that hardened trade he was almost a throwaway i would have thought that houston would have targeted him as kind of the centerpiece of that trade because they didn't care for Karis LeVert, who's on Indiana now. I believe Victor Oladipo was in that trade. They didn't care. He was in there somewhere. Um, and the Nets, in getting rid of Jared Allen, who is an incredible rim protector, is a great defender, and they have to play Nick Claxton. So maybe if they keep Jared Allen and they get some semblance of Ben Simmons, there's a, a more of a series there. But I, you're probably right that Boston wins regardless because they were the deepest team. They had the most talent, and they showed it by – of course, making it to the finals and taking the eventual champions to six. So after the uh, that season ends in total embarrassment, they get swept. It's a very awkward situation. Kyrie, you know, doesn't really play all season. Then he tries to play that that uh, that series, and he looks good in game one. Doesn't look so good in the rest of the games. So this that off season, we thought, or I think at least I did, was that, okay. That's the end of it. Kyrie's out of here. He's got one more year on his deal. He's going to ask out. KD signs an extension inexplicably and then asks out shortly after. And I thought that they were all both going to get traded that that summer. What did you think? Yeah, it seemed like it was heading that way, right? That they were going to break up the band. Um, and 
I think they were just able to say, look, let's give it another go. Joe Sai, I think, as a businessman, wasn't willing to just part with all of this investment that they put into getting these guys together and trading away assets. Uh, and I think he felt tied to making that work. So I don't think he could have imagined what ended up happening later. And I think it made sense uh, for them to 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 give it another go. It, it's hard to part with. Like these are Durant is you know, whatever you want to put him, a top 5, 10, 15 guy. These guys, they don't get traded. They just don't. He had just signed an extension that summer before, and it's unprecedented. Like, who is the last guy to get traded that's in that pantheon? Maybe Shaq. And and that was at a point where Shaq was, had a couple of good years left in him. Kevin Durant mm-hmm. has a game that's going to age very gracefully. So I can understand why Brooklyn's like, is pleading to make it work. We'll sign the players you need, anything you need, which is kind of the recurring theme of this era is anything you need, anything you need, anything you need, as reported in in Matt Sullivan's book that these guys were given the keys to the franchise in an unprecedented Mm -hmm. way. So I can get that there was a bit of pleading, I imagine, and hey, you signed a contract uh, and there wasn't enough at the time, I think, to make this uh, screw this trade me, please. I, I want out of here. But it did yeah. end up leading to KD requesting for a trade. And we thought for sure he was out of there. That seemed, but I, I get it. it. It seemed at the time that there just wasn't a package that Joe Sai was satisfied with being the businessman that he is. Um, so yeah, I, I think that mm-hmm. uh, it, it what ended up happening made sense. But there is an alternate reality where Joe Sai says, I'm KD, like, it's cool. You're one of the greats. I'll trade you now. Thank you for your time. It's been, it's been cool, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that you mentioned that it's, it's the Nets took that whatever you need approach to things. So I, I failed to mention that after Kyrie and KD come to Brooklyn, they push for a new coach. So Kenny Atkinson was the reason supposedly that they wanted to sign in Brooklyn because of the culture and all that. They replace him with a rookie head coach in Steve Nash. Kyrie says some funny things in a press conference or an interview where he says, like, oh, nobody's really the coach. I, I'm the coach. KD's the coach. Steve is the coach. Uh, so he takes that, you know, all things equal kind of uh, commune approach to coaching NBA basketball. And then this offseason, Kyrie has the player option. So there's a lot of the will he, won't he. Is he going to decline the player option and sign for less money in, I don't know, L.A. or something to play with with uh LeBron, and of course, he chooses to exercise that option. I think it was like $37 million, so I can't blame him for doing that. And then KD says, I won't stay here if uh, Sean Marks is still the GM. The ownership says, no, we're keeping Sean Marks. Okay, I won't stay here uh, as long as Steve Nash is the head coach. And they kind of, there's a little bit of back and forth, and eventually, I believe Steve Nash stepped down because he didn't want to deal with this anymore, and they end up replacing him. Yeah, quote-unquote, stepped down, mutual... Uh, termination, whatever word you want to use. Basically, he got fired because they wanted to keep KD. So we go into the season. They got a new head coach. There's some rumors about Ime Udoka. Thankfully, they don't do that. They keep Jock Vaughn, who is doing great. And things are rolling. The Nets look like one of the best teams in the league. I think at one point they were like, they won two out of, or sorry, they uh, they were like 20 and two in some kind of, in a, in a long stretch. Basically, they were rolling towards a top, I don't know, three seed in the East. 
and then KD gets hurt and the wheels come off. So what happened after KD gets hurt? Just should we even a, to mention the? Should we even cover the, the Kyrie's uh, uh, his his documentary that he linked? Because well, I think I, that was a story too. But yeah. I, I quickly just mentioned that that was like a really like uh, there's so much turmoil in just a couple of weeks. The Brooklyn Nets were if you want to use dumpster dumpster fire is overused, I think. But that was a legitimate dumpster fire with Imi Udoka and all that that crazy. Um, I don't know. I don't want to get too into it, but he had a crazy thing with the Celtics and then Kyrie has the anti-Semitic stuff and it's all in the same window. It's like, what the hell is going on with this team? They don't have their stuff together. Fast forwarding with Kevin Durant getting hurt. I think Kyrie Irving's looking around and he's saying, screw this. <laughs> ben Simmons doesn't want to play. Uh, KD is, is, is hurt. And I don't like what's going on around me, man. He's almost like a paranoid, uh, paranoid junkie. Uh, just to use an example, like I don't know, man. You get back away from me. Who are you? I don't like this. I don't like this at all. Everyone, just back up, back up, back the hell up. That's that. That's kind of what I, I envisioned in my head because it, it, the wheels came off, and he just all of a sudden before the trade deadline, maybe a week and a half before the trade deadline, says. Get me out of here. I just I don't want to be here anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. And and that they got rid of him. Yeah, and the reports were that they were offering him a multi-year extension, but it had some really uh, high-level incentives. It was you know we'll give you um, you know if we win the title, the you'll get this this X amount of money, or if we do this. So he felt, to use his words, he felt disrespected by the Nets, and that they wouldn't give him this deal. You know, he was on his best behavior, I guess, after the um, the documentary and all that, that all that brouhaha that um, went down. But I believe that was the main issue, was that he wanted just a straight-up regular big money max extension, and they were not willing to do so. And I think it's totally fair for them to put some of these parameters around it because given the guy's history, like, who knows if he would even show up to work the next day. Uh, and he gets traded to... To Dallas, and I think you you were going to say something as well here. It's it's the equivalent of being put on a performance plan in the private sector. I think is the whole adding all these incentives to an extension. Like you know, you can stay here if you hit all this. Otherwise, you can leave. It's very similar to at work. They're like, you know, you have thirty days. If you hit all these goals, uh, we'll keep you. But if not, there's the door. Basically, it's almost like he was put on like uh, it's like academic probation. Like you need to keep them, you need to to keep your nose clean, Kyrie. Uh, no weird tweets, no uh, whatever political stances, and uh, keep showing up to games, and then we'll we'll extend you. But uh, obviously, he was not prepared to do that, which is fair. He's you know totally within his rights to do so. And then, of course, as soon as they trade Kyrie, KD is looking around like, wait, what the hell am I still doing here? And eventually, he gets moved to Phoenix for. An incredible price. Do you do you feel like the Phoenix Suns may have overpaid in this regard? I don't think so. You look at a player like KD, and whatever the asking price is, I feel like you give it up if he's available, and you know he's coming back and he's going to play. And I think that KD has so much respect for the game that I don't think he would mislead in this kind of way if he felt like he would be a detriment to someone else getting traded there. Being traded away from Golden State and leaving in free agency, that that's that was understandable. He wanted to move on. I think in this case, he's like, I'm gonna be back this year. 
I'll play for you. You're a contender. We we can I can join this core and bring a championship to Phoenix. Absolutely. You do that deal 10 times out of 10. I, I agree. I mean, regardless of how this season plays out, they still get, um, you know, I think KD is on another couple years left in his contract. He's in the middle of a four-year deal. So the window is going to be open for a little bit. And then, you know, even if they don't win the title this year, they can go into the off season and get some ring chasers and maybe squeeze a couple more life out of a couple more years of life out of Chris Paul's 40 year old legs and see if they can do something next year. But the, the crazy thing about this Brooklyn thing is kind of, it, it ended with a whimper, right? I think if it ended in the off season, we would have had more time to sit back and talk about really like what really went wrong. How did, how did all this, you know, this supposed dynasty in the making blow up so quickly but the fact that it just it kind of end, it ended on like a Tuesday in the middle of the NBA season, and then two days later, Kyrie's you know wearing blue and white, and he's playing for the Mavericks, and KD is showing up you know at a at a workout in, in Phoenix, and you almost don't have the time to process it. All of a sudden, it's just like, oh okay, well the Nets are back to Spencer Dinwiddie now. They have Mikael Bridges, and you know Ben Simmons is our twelfth or thirteenth man, and it just like in a flash, they kind of went back. They like time traveled you know, five years back to 2018 where they were like that lovable scrappy eight seed. So it was just very weird how quickly that happened. What do you think? Yeah. It's kind of like when you're at work and you haven't seen someone for maybe uh, three or four days and you're like, where did Kevin go? And you check your LinkedIn and Kevin updated his LinkedIn and he's now a professional project manager somewhere else. All of a sudden you're like, Whoa, that was quick. I, I didn't even notice that happened in, in the flash of a pan. So yeah, it, it's, I get it. I mean, Durant is looking at Kyrie relieving, and he's like, I have no reason to stay here. Why would I want to play this season out? It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of my, my potential, my peak. So I, I, I get it. And yes, a huge whimper to all of it because from, wow, these two are teaming up to almost making it to the finals because of a toe to, uh, to, Putting that big three, the scary hours that only played like 16 games together, I think ultimately is the KD Kyrie Harden era, which is crazy, crazy that they couldn't even get to to 20 games. That, yes, it ended in a big, like that's how it ended with no championships, with, with nothing, with nothing. Yeah, they won, I believe it was one playoff series in those that three years. I mean, you can kind of throw out the, the first year of, of KD. Uh, because he wasn't on the floor, but one playoff series, 16 games together. And then, you know, they trade for a guy that they thought they could rehabilitate into back into that all NBA player and Ben Simmons. And, you know, maybe if he's able to, to get back to his old level, then this season doesn't go quite as bad when, when Kyrie, uh, when KD gets hurt and we don't see all this, but you know, the, the funny thing is, after all this, KD gets what he wants. Last summer, he said he wanted to go to either Boston or Phoenix. He ends up in Phoenix. Um, Kyrie goes to a place with no COVID vaccine restrictions, <laughs> so he doesn't have to worry about that. Uh, but I think even New York, at this point, they have no restrictions. So I think we can put the blame. I'm going to blame two things for the fall of the Brooklyn Nets, uh, quote-unquote, dynasty. The first is COVID-19, and the second is Ben Simmons. What do you think? <laughs> I think I put equal blame on the ball. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, I think those two are fair. Uh, ben Simmons and COVID. 
to some degree and how it was, I mean, the restrictions of COVID, right? Uh, and all that came with it. Uh, but I think you also have to blame the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets, we kind of chuckled earlier about the idea of culture being the reason why Ky- Kyrie and Katie uh, joined Brooklyn. But Matt Sullivan covered in his book, Can't Knock the Hustle, the title's too long, but Can't Knock the Hustle is the name of the book. And he followed uh, KD very closely and Kyrie during the 20, uh, 2020 season. During the pandemic, he joined Kyrie during a, uh, a pro- George Floyd protest. He went to Kevin Durant's house while he was getting high in his car. Uh, there was just a lot of, I mean, it was just, this is to give you an idea of how close he was to them how they were able to do whatever they wanted, private jets and vacation homes and uh, a lot of lot of say in player personnel. And as an executive, you, I think that as an organization, you have to be able to run your own ship. You definitely placate to your stars and give them a lot of say in things. But ultimately, as an organization, you have to have a spine. You have to have control of your, your business. And I think that they thought it was kind of cool to, hey, you, we're Brooklyn. We do have a culture here. We let you do whatever you want. And I think it's a, I think it's 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 mistaken, <laughs> it's naive and it's mistaken uh, flexibility for what ended up being let giving your guys mm-hmm. uh, too much power, letting the players be hybrid GMs, hybrid coaches. They at least they felt empowered, if even if they weren't. They felt like they were, and it's a huge fault of Brooklyn for not establishing itself in that way. And it was a huge missed opportunity for them. I think if this was a different organization, we can use Boston, even Dallas, Miami. There's no way that it it ends like this. Like they don't, guys don't go asking for trades more than once. They both ask for trades more than once. And you just don't see that uh, in, in in a title contending team or a team that has potential uh, to make a deep playoff run. So, yes, COVID and all that came with it. Ben Simmons <laughs> missing a dunk and being available and giving James Harden an out. Uh, but also Brooklyn. And and they have a lot of uh, rebuilding to do now. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of blame that you can lay at the feet of, of the Nets organization in general for letting KD and Kyrie take control and basically run the organization, letting them choose the coach, uh, bringing DeAndre Jordan for $10 million a year for some inexplicable reason. <laughs> Locker room guy. Yeah, basically he's, you know, oh, he's uh, uh, KD's friend, so let's sign him, uh, which was, you know, inexplicable at the time and, and still is one of the weirdest things about, uh, one of the most overlooked and weirdest things about this whole situation. But I think it's it's player power gone crazy. It's this era, of course, that we're in where players determine their destinies more than ever before. Um, but the thing is, I think if the Nets had a chance to do this all over again, knowing that we were basically a toe away from winning the, you know, getting to the NBA Finals, perhaps winning the NBA Finals, I think they do it again. Despite all the craziness and everything, maybe they change one or two small things. Maybe they don't let KD and Kyrie choose the coach, maybe they go with somebody a little more experienced. But I think the whole point of this era where you're chasing stars and chasing big threes or big twos, whatever it is, to put yourself in a position to win a title. And on paper, that's exactly what they did. And I think just through this crazy confluence of factors, a lot of things they couldn't control, some things they could control, 
Obviously, they couldn't control that COVID was a thing. They could have controlled their response to it and let him play anyway um, instead of, you know, for whatever reason, taking this hardline stance. And I think the core issue here is that we've seen a lot of times, or I don't know if you've heard like from coaches or teachers or whatever, it's like if you start off strict and then loosen up, it works, right? Because people respond to that. But if you start off like loosey-goosey, let the kids do whatever they want, let the players do whatever they want, and then try to be strict, it falls apart. And I feel like that's what they did, right? I mean, I know I can see you're laughing, but I, well, I think that's what, that's what happened. Yeah, I had, I had a fifth grade teacher, maybe sixth grade teacher that said, hey, while everyone's walking in, I like noise. And we were like, yeah, this teacher's awesome. And five minutes in, everyone is screaming and talking over each other. And she goes, class, class. Okay, maybe I don't really like noise. And I think that's what happened in Brooklyn. They're like, wait a minute. Wait, we're, we don't like noise. What do we do? They're, they're still making noise. How do we stop them from making noise? Yeah, and I don't mean to like infantilize these guys, but you see it in coaching too, right? Like I think of uh, Tom Coughlin is the great example, right? Where he comes into New York and he's a total hard ass. He's finding guys if they're less than five minutes early to meetings and everybody's, everybody hates it. They're pushing against it. And then, you know, they win a championship and it becomes, oh, okay, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. And if you take the opposite approach where you're trying to be, you know, cool and let everything slide and then, you know, like your fifth grade teacher, it's it's hard to pull things back. It's easier to loosen the reins once you have some credibility and some trust, but it's hard to rein things in. And that's what the Nets did. They said, oh, it's totally cool. We're all about, you know, uh, letting the guys decide what they want. Oh, you want Steve Nash, even though he's never coached an NBA game before? Sure, he's a legend, but whatever. We'll trust him with this, you know, this guy who has his learner's permit. We'll throw him in a Ferrari. Sure, no problem. We'll put him in the biggest media market in the country with three of the biggest stars uh, in the history of the, the or this era of the NBA. Sure, why not? Let's let him do that. Which I think was a huge misstep. And then the COVID thing happens, and all of a sudden they're total hard asses about, you know, uh, Kyrie and the vaccine and this and that, where it's like, he could have just played road games. It would have been fine, <laughs> I think. They would have built up some chemistry, I think, by the time the playoffs rolled around. So I think that the blame, of course, can be laid at their feet. But like I said, I think they, they would do it all over again. What do you think? 100%. It's a, it's a no-brainer. As, as a business, uh, Josiah being a savvy business guy knows this is going to increase the value of his business. It's going to get more season ticket holders. You're going to get butts and seats in that arena. Uh, it's, it's, there's, there isn't a downside to it uh, in hindsight or with uh, you know, seeing how it played out. Uh, 100%. There's no one in the league that doesn't do this deal. Absolutely. I think there's some egg on his face. He's probably embarrassed at how this all played out. Um, it didn't help that Kyrie was so outspoken about everything. And then I think that uh, the documentary issue, uh, you know, wasn't great for the organization or for Joe Psy. Um, but yeah, it's it helps his balance sheet. The team is probably worth more than it was a year or two ago. So probably sold a bunch of season tickets. Like you said, I'm, I'm, I know they sold a bunch of gear, a bunch of jerseys and shirt jerseys and all that stuff so i'm sure that helped they probably have a huge backload so look out at your local uh, ross tj max and marshall's <laughs> for uh brooklyn nets jerseys featuring <laughs> kevin durant let me know if you see them because i would definitely buy them that black and white very classic i got a couple of those uh so yeah i think they have to clean up the mess but i think 
you know, we could talk about what's next for the Nets, but I, I think they're in a pretty good position from here on out. What do you think about their, their current roster construction and what they have? Uh, we were talking before we started recording about their uh, pick situation over the next few years. So I think the future is pretty bright for this team. Yeah, I think that they were able to do a little bit of recouping after giving away so many picks to get James Harden. They got some of that back from trading KD to Phoenix. There might be some pick swaps in between uh, here and there, but they do have some picks in the coming years from Phoenix. And they have a good roster. Uh, it's They have too many wings. I think they have, I don't know, eight, nine, ten wings, and they'll have to figure out what to do with that. But they have a few good pieces, uh, Mikkel Bridges and and Cam Johnson. Uh, I think that through the draft, they can build again. Uh, they are not incentivized to be as competitive as they were before the Kevin Durant trade because they didn't have any picks. And if they fail, it's bad for their business and the Houston Rockets get a bunch of draft picks. Uh, but now they can, even if they don't have some of those, they got them back. So I, I, I like it. I, I, I like that their outlook isn't as doom and gloom as it was a month ago. For sure. And I think they're back to being that lovable, scrappy team. They do have too many wings, like you said, but I think that'll lead to a lot of movement this offseason. They can try to offload guys and, and recoup some of those picks and, and talent. Um, they have the two cams. They got Mikhail Bridges. Nobody on this team, I think, is a legit superstar, maybe even a star, but maybe Mikhail Bridges with a bigger role could be an all-star type player, and who knows what, what they get out of Camp Johnson. But I do like where this team is headed, and I think they're back to being – which is you know funny to say because they're in Brooklyn, they're in New York and all that, but kind of under the radar again. And they're not going to be the talk of the town or the talk of the NBA kind of for better or worse. And they extended Jacques Vaughn. I think it's an opportunity to a return to rebuilding the culture. And you, you get time. With time, you build some competence. You get some guys to stick around for a while. You reward guys for their loyalty. And you can you have an opportunity to establish a history like trading KD is one of those things that stars around the league will look at and go, okay, they respected his wishes this time and traded away a top player. And this is one of those eras where guys like to jump around and, and get new jobs, but at least people will, there's a, a chance that Brooklyn doesn't feel so much like uh, a stepping stone, or I just want to get this on my resume that I played in New York for a little bit. Uh, and, and it's a more, being that it's New York City, it's Brooklyn, a more favorable place to play to play and live in. Exactly, yeah. I think that that's a, a key advantage that they have over a lot of the teams is that you get to be in New York without the, the Knicks pressure, the Knicks spotlight. Uh, the ownership is light years better than the Knicks ownership. You get to live in, and play in a cool place. Brooklyn has a lot of cultural cachet. Uh, it's still New York City, but it's, it's cooler. You know, it's not Midtown Manhattan. It's it's Brooklyn. You know, it's got some edge to it. Um, so you still get access to. I know it's less of a factor playing in a big market, but it, it's still a factor. And you know, in terms of of media spotlight, you know, I look at the Sacramento Kings. They're one of the best teams in the league this year. They're third seed in the Western Conference. I don't think they've been on national TV all year because, unfortunately, they're the Sacramento Kings. Whereas if the same thing was happening, if the Nets were the third seed in the, the Eastern Conference and they had the light, the beam, and they had this fun team, they'd be the talk of the town. They'd be the talk of the NBA. So 
there is some truth to it still that that playing in a big market is good. And I think that gives them a big advantage over these other teams. So I do think that despite the missteps, they were able to clean things up and basically get back on the path to a rebuild uh, after all this, all these shenanigans. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's um, what looked like was heading for complete disaster and without a first round pick for half a decade is now uh, a very lucky opportunity to to clean things up and uh what looked like natural disaster is now you know just back to business let's just you know we had a thing we were in a little relationship she was kind of crazy we were kind of crazy uh but now you know um uh, seeing other people and i'm i'm looking for a long-term commitment now i'm not dating uh for weekend flings for sure i mean the nets went from being that crazy couple that's arguing in the parking lot of a chili's at 2 a.m after one too many margaritas or Applebee's or something. And they be, now they're the, you know, the couple that's taking a walk on Sunday morning and uh, feeding the birds and reading the book at, a, at the park. So they, they've definitely become a little more stable. They have a, a clear path to success. So before we wrap up, what is your number one takeaway? Maybe it's your biggest what if or just a general takeaway or thought from the brief era that you know they they flamed out so quickly they flew too close to the sun we can say and they fell back down to earth but what's your your main takeaway here it's it's the kd toe on the line i think is the biggest thing what does that do and what ends up happening long term is the biggest takeaway it's one of it's one of the biggest what ifs in nba history i think uh just given the implications and what happened and the number of things that happened after uh, that that has to be it for me, and maybe just as a bonus, as an organization, how to run your organization moving forward. I think this will be a use case for what not to do and what to do, of course, as well. It's not, I can't place the blame on on the players. Players will do what they do, um, but yeah, those are the two for me. And I th- I think that this was we're having a very different conversation, and I don't even know if we're having a what if podcast. You know, if Katie's toe is on the line. <laughs> yeah, you cheated a little bit there. You picked two as for one, but it's okay. Uh, I'm going to go with the toe as well. And I think you brought up a really good point. And I think this is one of the reasons that I love, I know you love doing these what ifs so much, is the in- insane like ripple butterfly effect from the smallest situations, right? So because KD's toe is on the line, it becomes a legacy defining season for Giannis, right? He goes from being, you know, oh, is this guy the real deal can he win the big you know the big game and then he goes and drops 50 points in a closeout game in the nba finals and becomes you know a legend for taking the small market team and winning quote unquote the right way as he said i I saw him say to d wade during the uh all-star break that he posted a picture of d wade uh dirk nowitzki and i think himself maybe it was one other guy say they won titles the right way quote unquote and then on the flip side of it is, okay, maybe the Nets make the finals, but it's just KD and no Kyrie and Harden. So you would think Chris Paul gets to win the title in this case. So maybe it becomes a legacy defining season for Chris Paul, God forbid. So this little toe just basically, (laughs) it defined the career path of, I don't know, five of the best NBA players of this era, you know, makes Giannis a champion. It keeps KD from winning a title on his own. Same with Kyrie. It it ends this era, essentially. 
And it also impacts the legacies of Chris Paul. And I mean, Devin Booker is still a baby in, in these terms. But yeah, so that that's the main takeaway, man. It's got to be the toe. Nothing else. Shocking. <laughs> shocking. All of it is shocking. It's catnip. Uh, I would re-record this podcast and say the same exact things in five minutes because of just how uh, I think, t- uh, I don't know, addicting this topic is. And I think it'll be revisited and well-documented uh, in the future for, for fodder for us to to consume like fiends. Yeah, we could have done an, probably an hour just on the toe by itself. Uh, and in the future, maybe we could do a top five what-if scenarios from the toe game or you know, KD's toe <laughs> game, whatever. Uh, so that's it for our show today. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate your time today. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, make sure to uh, follow us on all the major podcasting platforms. Leave us a review. Subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple and Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Anchor, everything that you can think of. Uh, make sure to follow us on social media as well, on Instagram and Twitter at 4040VisionPod, so you can get all the uh, up-to-date episodes. We are trying to release an episode every Monday of the standard 4040 Vision podcast, and we're trying to do the 4040 shorts uh, every Thursday. Maybe we'll skip one here and there, but keep an eye out for those as well. Thanks, everybody. Peace out. Thanks, everyone.